Wasn't that beautiful? Well, Merry Christmas. My name is Mitchell Slater. I'm one of the pastors here at River Oaks. Uh, I'm so glad uh, that you could join us here for worship on Christmas Eve. Um, I would invite you, if you have a Bible, to open up to not your traditional Christmas text, but to a great Christmas text, Titus chapter 2. While you're turning there, I do want to um, make a little announcement um, that um, our plan between uh, myself and Pastor Chris was to do a little mini-series, uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas, on Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. That'll still be happening, uh, but I'll be preaching tomorrow morning. Um, the Kawa family have had a uh, busy day. So uh, this morning at about 3.30 in the morning, Chris and Christy became grandparents. So... Yeah. So Jack and Maddie gave birth to a healthy little baby girl this morning. Um, and then a little bit later in the day, a pipe froze and burst in the Kawa home. So there, roller coaster of a day. So um, let's go to the Lord in prayer for our time and let's pray for our dear pastor. <laughs> Father, we thank you. For our time together tonight, uh, just being able to worship you, our triune God, and our incarnate Lord this Christmas Eve. We do thank you for uh, our pastor. We thank you for Chris. Uh, we thank you for a, um, a healthy delivery uh, today um, and, and for the joy that that brings uh, to their family. Uh, we do pray uh, that you would encourage their hearts, um, help them to have a uh, a joyful Christmas, despite some of the difficult circumstances there. And Father, we pray for um, our time tonight that you would um, help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ more clearly, and please lead us into deeper worship and adoration for Christ. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by Someone just keep a running count of how many times I do that. <laughs> this evening. I'll begin differently tomorrow morning. This evening, I want to begin by reading from the introduction to the Jesus Storybook Bible. Kids, do we have any fans of the Jesus Storybook Bible here? Do we have any adult fans of the Jesus Storybook Bible here? Yeah, yeah, me too. It's great. So... It starts off like this. Some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And the Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid. They run away. At times, they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is, most of all, a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the ones he loves. 
It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. At the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. Well, this evening, this evening, we're going to see this this grand story of the Bible, the story of God's grace that's centered on this baby that's come to save the world. And if you are a a River Oaks regular, you'll know that we've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke on Sunday mornings. So we covered all of the kind of Christmas nativity passages in like August. So we just figured we'd mix things up a little bit, which is why we're in Titus. So in this passage, we'll get a few of those puzzle pieces that are going to help us put this picture together so we can see the beautiful portrait of who the Lord Jesus is and what he's done for us. So let's read Titus, uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. With these words, the Apostle Paul, he turns our eyes to see the two great appearings of Christ. We see them both here. In verse 11, we see that the grace of God has appeared. And in verse 13, we see the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Tonight is the last night of the season of Advent. And here we see the two great advents of Christ. Advent just means arrival. So his two arrivals, his two comings. We see his first advent, the the appearing of his grace. And we see the second advent in the appearing of his glory. Now, during these these seasons of, of Advent and Christmas, many churches have a wonderful tradition that emphasizes both of these comings of Christ. It's a call and response that goes like this. The leader says, Christ has come. And you, the congregation, says in response, Christ will come again. So I want us to practice this uh, tonight. I'll say Christ has come, and you'll say Christ will come again. You can go ahead and put it up on the screen. Christ has come. Christ will come again. Well done. I just want to hear it again. Christ has come. Christ will come again. Amen. We'll be saying that throughout our services, both today and tomorrow, as a reminder that we live between these two great comings of Christ. If you want to picture it this way, it's like we, we, we live in a valley in the middle of two great mountains. On one side, you have the mountain of Christ's first coming. And on the other side is the mountain of his second coming. And we live in the valley in between. We live in the time between the times, in the, 
and the tension of a phrase that we like to use, the already, not yet. So we're in the phase of human history where Christ has already come. And yet we are still waiting for Christ to come again. We could put it another way. There's a word in our passage this morning, uh, appearing, the appearing of the grace of God, the appearing of his glory. And that is the Greek word epiphany. Epiphany just means the, the shining of a light. Okay, so it's the exact same word that Zechariah uses in his song in Luke chapter 1, verses 78 through 79, when he sings this about the Messiah's arrival. He says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light or to give an epiphany to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. So before Jesus was born, all humanity lived under that looming shadow of sin and death. But with the birth of Christ, that was the the first morning ray of sunrise. It was... As the carol says, it was the dawn of redeeming grace. When he returns, that will be the epiphany of his glory. It'll be like the the brightness of the noonday sun. So if his first coming is the sunrise, his second coming is high noon. And again, we we live in the in-between. That's where we find ourselves. So as we we light candles in a few moments, let that just remind you that even though we live in a world full of shadows, the light of Christ has already begun to shine. So tonight, our focus will be on that first coming, the appearing of grace, and tomorrow morning we will look at his final coming, the appearing of glory. So let's think about this appearing of grace Paul says in verse 11, the grace of God has appeared. Now, this was a big deal for the first recipients of this letter. Paul had written this in the first century to a co-worker of his name, Titus, who was on the island of Crete. Now, a little history lesson, the people of Crete, they were Greek, and so they believed in the Greek pantheon of gods who who lived on Mount Olympus. Uh, Zeus, Hermes, uh, Poseidon, those guys. But the people of Crete, they they put their own spin on this Greek idolatry. They actually believed that the gods started off as mortal men, just like us. And they eventually became great enough and powerful enough that they actually became deities themselves. They believe that that Zeus, for instance, he was the king of the gods, and he started off as a man from their island of Crete. He was a hometown kid, and somehow he earned godhood and divinity, which means the, the foundation of the culture of Crete was a man becomes God theology. It was a theology of man becomes God. They saw life as a a self-deification project. They wanted to become gods. And it's easy for us to maybe sit back and laugh at them. You know, how unsophisticated, how 
uneducated, but are we really that different? I mean, this man becomes God theology. It wasn't unique to Crete. It goes back to the garden. When the tempter seduced our first parents with the words, you shall be as gods. And it is the same lie that we believe today. We wouldn't put it in exactly the same terms as they would, but we also hold to a man becomes God theology. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to call the shots. We want to make the decisions. We want to define good and evil, right and wrong, on our own terms. We want to shape our own destiny and create our own sense of meaning and purpose and identity. We know we can't become the God of the whole universe, but we tend to live out the fantasy that we can be the God of our own little personal world. It's a man becomes God theology. It's It's the lie of the old serpent. It's really the anti-Christmas story. But in response to our anti-Christmas story, the Lord gives us the true Christmas story. In response to our man becomes God theology, we receive the God becomes man theology. That's what Paul is saying here in, in Titus 2. Grace has appeared. In the person of Jesus, God has come to visit us in the flesh. So Christmas shows us we don't have a God like Zeus, a mortal man who claws his way and climbs to divinity. No, we have a God who is the God who humbles himself to take on our humanity. We don't ascend to Godhood. God descends to our lowly humanity. He emptied himself of all of his divine privileges to become one of us, a flesh and blood human. As the Nicene Creed confesses, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. That's what we confess. That's what we believe. Jesus is fully God and fully man. 100% divinity, 100% humanity. But notice that Paul in Titus 2, he didn't say God has appeared. He said the grace of God has appeared. Isn't that an interesting way to describe the first coming of Christ? Grace has appeared. What does Paul mean by that word grace? Well, throughout his letters and really throughout the the whole of the Bible, we see that grace is what happens when someone who deserves nothing is given everything. And specifically here in Titus 2, we see a really kind of fascinating perspective on grace. So to illustrate this, I think um, if we want to go look at some grammar tonight, I'm not great at this, but I know that a noun is a person, place, or thing. (laughs) So when you think about grace, which one is it? I would imagine some of us see grace as a place. 
Maybe if we go on a, on a pilgrimage to some holy site or we go on a mission trip to a foreign country, that's where we'll experience grace. Or maybe even you might be here tonight because you think a church service on Christmas Eve is kind of the place to find grace. And it is, but not because of this place. Others of us, we might view grace as a thing. So sometimes we talk about grace as if it's like a substance. So our life is like a, a gas tank. When we start running low on grace, we need to go to God for a fill-up. But, but Paul here, he doesn't speak about grace as either a thing or a place. He talks about grace as if it's a person. Because it is. He says grace has appeared, bringing salvation and training us. So bringing, training, those sound like actions that people do, that a person does. And that's because grace is a person. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the grace of God. We see the same reality just a, a few verses later in Titus chapter 3, verse 4. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. So Christmas is a time to celebrate that the grace and the goodness and the loving kindness of God was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. We heard the same truth in the, in the songs at the beginning of Luke's gospel. Zechariah sang out that the tender mercy of God was visiting his people Old Simeon, when he, he got to hold the infant Messiah in his hands, he sang, my eyes have seen your salvation. In other words, Jesus is the tender mercy of God. He is the salvation of God. He is the grace of God. Jesus is grace incarnate. He is grace that became tangible and visible, that could be seen and heard and touched. But this appearing of grace shows us that we are a people desperately in need of grace. On Christmas, God looked down on those who deserve nothing, and he gave us everything. The gift of his own son. This is the real Christmas story. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This goes against the, the anti-Christmas stories that are being sold to us all December long. So for example, a few weeks ago, our family was watching Home Alone 2. Any Home Alone fans here? Okay, okay. Only one and two. After that, doesn't count. They're great. But as we were watching Home Alone 2, one scene stuck out to me. It was when Kevin, Kevin! He's, he's lost in New York City, and he has a discussion with the pigeon lady. Remember this? And she says to him, did you know that a good deed erases a bad deed? Well, my radar went off. <laughs> but that's a common belief, isn't it? Like, yes, we've all done some bad deeds, but we just need to do enough good deeds to erase the bad ones. But Kevin, he actually responds wisely. He says, I don't know if I'll have enough time to do all the good deeds to erase all my bad ones. 
And all God's people said, amen. <laughs> because that message, right, it sounds kind of nice on the surface, but the, there's only one problem. We don't have enough time. We can never do enough good deeds to erase all of our bad deeds. And even our good deeds are tainted with bad. So the pigeon lady tries to give him some version of good news. She says, it's Christmas Eve. Good deeds count extra tonight. <laughs> that, that so-called good news, it's actually bad news. Even if there was some kind of Christmas bonus for good deeds, our sins and bad deeds are more than we can handle on our own. And that little conversation shows us how we so often miss the entire point of Christmas. Remember, the Bible isn't primarily a book of rules to follow or a book of heroes to emulate. The Bible is the story of a gracious God who will do everything necessary to save a people who don't deserve it. Just look at verses 13 and 14 where Paul speaks about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us. He gave himself up on the cross to save his people from their sins. Jesus was born to die. The purpose of the incarnation is ultimately the crucifixion and the resurrection. He needed a human body because we've sinned in our human bodies. So now he can bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Jesus was given nerve endings so he could feel pain. He was given skin so he could be flogged. He was given hair follicles so his beard could be pulled. He was given a brow so he could wear the crown of thorns. He was given hands and feet so they could receive the nails. He was given lungs so he could breathe his final breath. And he was given veins so he could shed his precious blood for us and for our salvation. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. So Jesus needed a body to die. And he needed a body to rise from the dead. Christmas leads to Good Friday, which leads to Easter. That's the full story. Grace really has appeared, bringing salvation for all people through the birth and life and death and resurrection of the Son of God. And the grace that forgives us is the same grace that transforms us. So let's back up just a little bit to verse 10 so we can see verses 11 and 12 in context. He says, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Remember that line. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So we're called 
to adorn the doctrine of God. That is, to live our lives in such a way that makes the good news of Jesus Christ look beautiful. Now, over the last month, you've probably adorned your home for the Christmas season. You've adorned it with lights and ornaments and wreaths and trees and tinsel and garland. We've adorned our homes to celebrate the coming of Christ, but have we adorned our hearts? Do we live lives that show that we are living in the kingdom of the infant king? Now, you might be thinking right now, my life isn't exactly adorned, doesn't feel beautiful. To be honest, it seems rather ugly. And if that's you, I have good news of great joy. You can't make yourself better. You can't beautify your own life, but the grace of God can. God's grace has come to us in the person of Jesus, and he trains us to renounce ungodliness and to pursue godliness. So when Art preached on this same text several months ago in our study of Titus, he used a fascinating phrase that's kind of stuck with us that describes the life of the Christian He said we are pushed by grace and pulled by glory. Pushed by grace and pulled by glory. So that is, in our journey of faith, we don't make progress on our own. We have Christ's first advent behind us and his second advent ahead of us. So we're being pushed forward by his grace and pulled along by his glory. His grace pushes us and propels us and energizes us to grow in godliness. And what does that godliness look like? It's becoming more like him. Being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. This is the point of Christmas. The son of God became one of us so that we might become in him sons of God. He was born so that we could be born again. So I pray that none of us leaves our Christmas celebrations this year unchanged. If you're here tonight and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've not looked to him alone as your only hope of being reconciled to God, I want you to know that grace really has appeared bringing you salvation. You'll never be able to do enough good deeds to erase your bad ones. Never. But the good deeds of Jesus Christ, his coming, his living, his dying, his rising, his good deeds can erase all your bad deeds forever. So come to him in faith. Of all the gifts that you receive this Christmas, receive the free and costly gift of salvation given to you directly from God himself. And for you believers, Grace has appeared, bringing you salvation and training you. So this Christmas, be reminded of all that Christ has done for you and let his grace continue to to push you towards glory and lead you into deeper adoration of your Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So let's make our Christmas proclamation one more time. Christ has come. Christ will come again. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. 
that gr the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. We thank you that the goodness and loving kindness of God has appeared. And in Christ, you have saved us, your people. Father, I pray that you could even bring salvation to someone tonight who's heard this good news. And I pray that you will lead us into deeper love for you and higher worship of you. So lead us now as we continue to worship. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.